James, this is going to be a fun conversation. I've seen you on stage. I've heard your talks. Um, I've also seen all the fundraising announcements previously. So I, I literally cannot contain my excitement for this just because of how hot carbon accounting or just the carbon offsets market has gotten over the last year. Um, and it seems like it popped really well during the pandemic. But uh, James of uh, Persephone, this is going to be a fun conversation. Why don't you give the audience a quick uh, rundown on who you are, why you're here, and uh, what you guys do over at Persephone, and we'll dive into it after. I am super, super excited for the conversation. Starting off, uh, my name is, you know, to you said, James Newsom, Chief Data Officer here at Persephone. And really funny story of how I actually joined Persephone. I met Kentaro Kawamari, uh, one of our co-founders, about six years ago when we both worked at a company called Insight. Insight is a reseller of technology. The reason I bring that up, because I bring it up later in the conversation of why that's important, my focus at the time was on building really resilient accounting systems, but then able, uh, enabling our enabling our partners, but also enabling our internal team to then be able to make intelligent decisions to drive the business based on this accounting information. And if you know about Insight, we actually deal with multiple suppliers. We are resellers of some of the, uh, Insight was resellers of some of the largest companies, such as Microsoft, HP, and Cisco. And when I met Kentaro at the time, a problem we was trying to solve actually is very similar uh, to the problem we're solving within carbon accounting. And that was understanding our sell-through of supplier products in order to calculate the rebate for Insight. And so that was taking all of this supplier data and trying to calculate it so that we can calculate it within quarter. Because before I started, all of those rebates was calculated outside of the quarter because you had to wait months for the suppliers to do the calculations and then be able to send that back to Insight. And so Fast forward, about six years later, uh, Kentaro out of the blue hit me up on LinkedIn and said, hey, you know, I'm looking to start a company, um, would love to talk to you about it. So I met him at Starbucks and he walked me, right? This is what people, you have the, you have the little side meetings at Starbucks. How many startups or companies have been kind of started in conversations at Starbucks, right? So I met him at Starbucks. Um, and I remember telling my friends at the time, like, you know, I haven't talked to him in six years. I've seen he's grown a lot. You know, I wonder what we're going to actually talk about. He said it's in climate. I'm very passionate about it. I love backpacking, being outside. But I was like, I have no idea how I can actually help. So we sit down. He tells me and walks me through like this slide deck of what he's looking to do, of tracking companies' carbon emissions, being able to do analytics on this data, feed it back to them so they can operationalize the data. And I, I look back and I was like, well, Kentaro, uh, you, you know I'm not a climate scientist, right? And he was like, I know, but this is a data problem. And I was like, I know a little something about data. Sign me up, I'm happy to help. And 100% what we uncovered right away it's truly a data problem and an accounting problem. And Persephone is a climate, man, a climate uh, management company to help companies track and manage their overall carbon emissions and also enable them to then be able to report to multiple stakeholders 
and then start on their path to decarbonization. And just for the record, we often talk about carbon emissions. It's just what we use to kind of like, it's the currency of what we use to describe it, but really it's greenhouse gas emissions that cover multiple greenhouse gases that's released in the atmosphere outside of carbon. Today, we're about in nine different countries, uh, global in nature. I was about the six, seven or eight employee. This is an internal, <laughs> it's an internal thing about the six, seven, eight. We may come back to that later. Uh, but now we have over 270 teammates. We have teammates in Japan. We have teammates in uh, UK and also uh, throughout other countries within Europe. Damn. So I want to quickly rewind to the Starbucks thing. I have I've actually randomly had conversations with friends where I'm like, what if Starbucks just turned into like a seed stage venture fund? Right. We offer coffee. <laughs> it's free coffee for one share of your company. I feel like it's the number of business decisions that have happened over a Starbucks coffee um, probably would return higher than probably give better returns than what Andreessen Horowitz is having. But that amazing story besides carbon accounting and what you're talking about how you're bringing what i'm going to just kind of qualify or classify as business analytics in your previous job and now applying that to carbon accounting is a really interesting transition because your point about hey I'm not a climate scientist. How am I going to actually put a number to these things and actually help out is something that at least catches my attention because I'm sure it wasn't just a copy and paste and just a simple data problem. So could you dig a little bit more into that as to how you guys are even approaching carbon accounting at scale? Because the, the traditional way that I've always heard is you hire a consultant who goes through, like you mentioned, you talk to the suppliers, the suppliers tell you what they're doing, what you bought from them, where did you procure your energy, where did you procure this and that, and that's how you come up with the full-blown estimate. So can you shed a little bit more light into this product and what's like under the hood that's allowing you guys to do accounting and making this a real interesting data problem for you to tackle? Yes, yeah, super, uh, super excited to, to speak to that. And Let's just rewind back a little bit and mm -hmm. tell the story of just accounting in general, business analytics, data science, you know, use the term big data, throw that out there. Mm -hmm. You have to see how many good terms we can throw out there, big data, AI, we maybe get some web three in there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll put that in the transcript so that there's a nice, uh, nice amount of SEO so everyone can find out about Persephone. I love it. <laughs> You're speaking my language there. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of going back to this age-old accounting problem, and there, there's going to be some equivalencies that you, that you hear me speak to. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't just business analytics. So when I left Insight, I was leading data engineering and data science. Okay. But it did start that way, right? So it initially started around business intelligence. But... What people really quickly figured out is that if you try to present some numbers to sales to try to change their behavior or numbers to other leaders in the business, what are they going to tie back to? They're going to tie back to that accounting ledger. So if you're doing business analytics, if you're then even creating predictive analytics or prescriptive analytics, and it doesn't tie back to the ledger, 
I mean, that's your problem number one, right? It's almost the, useless information at that point. Yeah, yeah. What's the source of the information? Right. People are going to poke holes in it. What's our source of truth? Right? Like, you know, how do we even know that we're making the right then decisions? And how does somebody else recreate or collaborate to say that this is accurate? How do I know I'm moving the needle? How do when I look at my KPI, my key performance indicators, if they don't tie back to that general ledger? Mm. So we actually at that time focus not on big data, not on just the prescriptive and predictive analytics. We had to go back to the transactional side of the data, seeing how that data was transacted from the activity data, being able to make sure that it was structured in a way that when it then went into the ledger, that we were able to provide predictive analytics then on top of that data that tied back to the ledger overall. Because again, when we talked about the problem we were solving, at the time, rebates represented about 25% of the overall kind of gross margin right they're, they're right profit. it's a huge number right for the company and not just the calculation we were doing was then tying back to you know people bonuses into where sales needed to go focus it also tied back to what we had to report back to the sec and then the public stakeholders and had to get audited if you skip that point it becomes very difficult to operationalize and create a system that is trusted that people can then start making decisions on top of that data. Now, so that being said, my background was steep in understanding SAP, ERP systems, CRM systems, um, customer relational management systems, SAP, Salesforce. Also, it was understanding big data, then how do you pull data from third party suppliers, vendors? How do you mesh all of that data together? But more importantly, how then do you tie that back to the overall ledger that is driving your accounting, right? So now transfer that knowledge into carbon accounting. So initially when I started, um, we were trying to figure out, it's like, you know, what, how do we actually calculate this? Like, you know, how do we provide this value to customers? Um, and Kim Stroh, uh, one of the other co-founders uh, here at Persephone, it's like, there's this thing called GHG protocol, greenhouse right. gas protocol. You should spend more time, you should read this, look at this. Soon as I took a look at the greenhouse gas protocol and started reading through it, I saw the equivalency. I was like, this is just the same thing as, you know, gap, right? Generally accepted accounting principles. And then oh. I started looking at frameworks. TCFD came out, right? Um, Task Force for Climate Disclos uh, Disclosures. I said, this is just, this is, this is, this is fast This is how companies then need to report. So you have GAP, the baseline and the foundations for how you do the accounting here in the US. And then you have FASB that then is on top of GAP to say, how do you need to report? Right away, the bolt clicked and said, GHG protocol, greenhouse gas protocols are gap. This is an accounting problem. Let's start diving into this problem as if we were building an ERP system for carbon accounting. And then because of our knowledge of working with these ERP systems, Kentaro Calamari was the chief digital officer at Chesapeake. 
one of the um, you know one of the largest energy companies. So not only did he see the problem from that side of the coin, he also was tasked for how do you calculate their emissions and bringing in the consultants. He was like, this is how you do it. Like you have consultants that come in once a year and you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for some final report that you can't even operate operationalize the data. Imagine if you track your revenue and costs the same way, like. Can you imagine that? Like if once a year you kept score of how much revenue and cost we was bringing in from consultants, and then they just gave you a nice report after that, and then the next year they, they do it again. You couldn't run a business. You couldn't build predictive analytics. You could not build prescriptive analytics. You could not drive change within an organization. So it's then, that well, ledger that's really important here. You got it. And so that was our that was our key. And that's also what is very unique about then Persephone. But then when you not only think about that ledger, because of our background and understanding the full scope, and when I kind of talked about my background, understanding data, not just from a business intelligence, not just from a data engineering not from a, just a system architecture standpoint. I also have my master's in accounting. So understanding that flow from that activity data to how it's transacted, coming out of a transactional system, how it's merged in with other data to add value, how you then create predictive analytics or can create integrations from that data, then going back to the ledger, making sure that it's auditable and you have this activity data that is transparent and that it is consumable, that then became the key for how we designed our system. But not only were we able to benefit from how SAP is assigned Salesforce, we was able to build a ERP system for carbon accounting from the ground up, taking all of these best practices, digitizing all of these different accounting rules, but thinking about how the data was gonna be used across the whole stream, to create a really efficient model and a schema to then be able to execute against that. And, you know, that was our differentiator, um, you know, and also how we approach uh, doing the accounting and, and building out that backend system to enable that. And so that insight is insanely interesting because basically what you're saying is you guys identify that fundamentally that your predictive analytics, your AI tools, your machine learning models, your outputs and such are like a consultant coming to you and making up their own data or using the data that they can find and saying, here's a nice presentation of what I think you guys made this year if we take the revenue example. Businesses don't run that way. Businesses want to hit net zero but one of the big things is the source of truth. Where are you getting your data from? How are you making these calculations? What's leading you to tell me that, hey, my carbon footprint is 50 tons, 50 metric tons a year, or it's uh, uh, 1 million metric tons a year because I'm an oil and gas player. It's almost like you guys, because of your previous history, understood that before you built any predictive models, any platform, any integrations, it was about really dialing in 
that you had a single source of truth that pulled supplier information that was validated and accurate, financial information, transactions, like, hey, you said you bought from this supplier, when did you buy it, at what time did you buy it, from who did you buy it, as much information and tying it back to real track, I'm gonna say receipts, but tracking it back to every transaction that that entity has made. And then building on top of that GHG accounting methodology and whatever predictive analytics and AI tools that Persephone has developed over the years, on top of all that information and those accounting principles to now be able to give an estimate to, I imagine any size business, as long as you can get that information from them. So you've built something that can scale that can also provide, I imagine, highly accurate information on on what your carbon footprint is on an annual basis. And I, I can imagine almost real time, though I doubt businesses are making decisions on CO2 and their carbon footprint in that kind of frequency. But that's just fascinating that that's where this all stemmed from. I, I guess my, my follow-on question from this kind of loop or this this rabbit hole we're kind of digging down is how does this help? Like in a customer, uh, let's take Shopify, for example, as a prospective customer that wants to reach net zero. They're gonna use your platform. They're gonna share all their information, their uh, the other Shopify stores that are on their platform, everyone wanting to be carbon neutral, the company wanting to be carbon neutral. How do they take your information? Because I imagine the 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 rabbit hole for you know who's responsible for what carbon is probably something that made that initial data or that ledger that you're talking about that you're built on top of a very complex one. Like, what do you associate to who, and how do you estimate it? Are you trying to go for like high accuracy estimates? Or are you trying to overestimate it? Because like. I imagine there's some really interesting depth there that makes you guys extremely unique in terms of how you go about aggregating what data to use and then building your predictions and your estimates on top of that. Is there something there that probably helped set you guys even further apart in how you're aggregating that data? It's really good questions that 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 you, you that you spoke to and I take a I take a couple couple steps back, and then we'll be able to work our way through answering those questions one by one. When you think about financial accounting versus carbon accounting, very similar structure that we've talked about, and you hit that point right on the head. The the major difference though is that, you know, typically in you know within GAP, you have about twelve calculations overall. I mean, there's more complexity depending on the size of the business. You have about you have one data type, which is really just currency. Um, within carbon accounting, you have two hundred and sixty different calculations, thousands of data types. So kilowatt hours, you know, miles, distance travel, material use, all type of different activity data. And so when you think about the data ingestion piece you are ingesting data directly from their supply chain, their procurement, where they actually have spent on the products that they're using within their uh, inventory. You have their financial data, and then you also have their operational data. 
So when you think about big data, mm -hmm. the variety of that data, and then also the velocity and the volume of that data was something that we didn't have to solve. But then also let's talk about the profile of an enterprise client. An enterprise client needs a few things in order for them to execute and use software. One, they need to know that it's secure. So when you look at our chief technology officer, um, Greg Buxkemper, he has over 20 years working within the consulting business. He came from Accenture and the focus has been how do you roll out large data centers that are secure and highly scalable? So from a security standpoint, that became core in for us. But then two, it has to be audited and transparent. So if you just build a model to say, you know, we've calculated your emissions because of X, Y, and Z, and it's a black box model, we knew that wasn't going to be auditable. And two, it wasn't going to be transparent, right? So I can definitely use multiple tools to come up with how I calculated your overall carbon emissions. It wasn't going to be auditable. It wasn't going to be transparent. And then three, on top of that kind of transparency, there's one thing that you talked about that I'll actually say that we've learned a lot about. Assuming that every company wants to be net zero. Right. And also assuming that what's driving companies to calculate their carbon emissions is that they want to be net zero. I think that's right. a real difference that, that you see in the market. And when you look at our approach, our focus has not been going to sustainability teams and working directly with them, but working with CFOs and actually their accounting team because they're going to own that responsibility from a compliance standpoint. And also they're gonna own walking through audit and then be able to report and disclose that. And then I guess us to some of the compliance things such as SEC and the other policies that are essentially coming out. So when we designed our system, we did design it for those particular companies that you know have the resources where they have millions of dollars to deploy build out sustainability teams like a lot of the companies you see within the Silicon Valley. We definitely need those type of companies to lead the way in messaging, et cetera. But a lot of times they do that for own, their own beneficial purposes, right? So they can hold up a flag saying that our employees are pushing us to do this. But what about the right. rest of the companies out there who don't have that sustainability expertise? They know nothing about the greenhouse gas protocol. They don't have millions of dollars to deploy. Our focus was on lowering that technical barrier for those companies and also educating them along the way on one, the data story. So let's go back to then that data quality question. How do I know my estimates are accurate? And also let's talk about what accuracy truly means. So when we walk a client through the platform, it's just not the education on what does it even mean to do carbon accounting? It's also a right. data story that, that we're telling here, right? So, but this is, carbon accounting gets a lot of flack for accuracy. People say, how do I know it's accurate? Like, how do I, how do I know the data? But that's, that's a straw man argument because that argument has been around since accounting has started. Like, if you understand accounting, accounting use estimates all the time. If it's not material, you use an estimate. <laughs> Why yeah. would you deploy resources at creating data structures to collect data, even in your standard accounting, if it's not material? Like, 
this has been an accounting problem since day one. But when it comes to carbon accounting, everybody wants to argue with how accurate this is. We need to change the rules or the rules are perfect. Like, they don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Like, this doesn't even make sense. But it's just that they don't want to do it. So they're pushing back on all of the rules. So when we look at the green art, for, uh... so for Persephone, it was very important to build upon the GHG protocol because one, it can become transparent. We're not now arguing about how we're doing the calculation. Can the GHG protocol continue to get better? Hell yes, of course. But can GAP continue to get better? Yes, it evolves. But you have to start from the iteration. So we built our application based upon that GHG protocol. From day one, we was working with teammates uh, from uh, G GHG protocol. There's a GHGMI, it's a management institute that helped companies implement it to make sure that we was implementing according to those rules and digitizing that. So when you think about accuracy, accuracy actually comes in different levels when carbon accounting, but also happens in financial accounting. So let's walk through a data story using a simple example. One of the categories uh, within the GHG protocol is mobile combustion. So this is for companies who own a fleet, say they own thousands of vehicles, or say if it's a small company, own two or three vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. This piece matters. So if they're a small company who own two or three vehicles, they may not have a fleet management system that tracks the type of fuel, the vehicle VIN numbers, how many miles a, a car has driven, et cetera. If they have a thousand vehicles, they may have invested in a fleet management system to collect all of that data. So according right. to the GHG protocol, companies have different levels that they can then report that data and also create a calculation. So at the minimum bar, you can use what's called spend base. So spend okay. base is I spent X amount of dollars on this thing or X amount of euros, whatever currency. On average, if I spent that amount, how much does that translate into some type of fuel consumed? Right. So say if you spent a hundred dollars with the way gasoline prices are today, almost reaching five dollars, then we can estimate how much fuel they actually use and use that as a baseline calculation. So that's a lower barrier of entry. However, they're going to have a higher degree of uncertainty. Right. Because you're using just the average spin, your uncertainty is going to be high. The second level is, say if I know how much distance I drove. So you say, I actually, you know, I, I drove 20 miles or I drove thousands of miles over a year period or whatever period they're accounting for. We did ask for the vehicle type, et cetera. And we have different classifications of that vehicle type. Then we can say right. for this typical vehicle type, this is the efficiency of, you know, miles per gallon, et cetera. I can now calculate it. You still have a high a higher degree of uncertainty than say if i knew the exact amount of fuel that i consume so the next level is i know the exact amount of fuel that i consume i can tell you how many gallons of gasoline or diesel or whatever the fuel type i consume then the uncertainty becomes less right so when people are throwing arguments to say accuracy you have to give it context like but within the rules, there's ways to be highly accurate. However, you got to start from somewhere. If I know nothing and I don't have the data systems to collect the data, why are you going to penalize and say I shouldn't start with just how much I spent?
because that will at least tell me where I have the most material impact into the emissions I'm generating. So I can now know where to invest to then figure out where do I need to get better data so I can now have the data to make better decisions on different trade-offs of now should I invest in this electric vehicle or should I invest in different modes of transportation to reduce my overall emissions. So that being said, you have to give context when you talk about accuracy. But again, going back to financial accounting, it's the same thing. For something that's not material within my business, I'm not going to go and count every piece of product or inventory in this warehouse. Why? It represents 1% of my total revenue or cost. I'm going to use an estimate just to say 2% maybe based on my yeah. estimate. And I need to move on. And this is where we have to get to when we start talking about carbon accounting. We have to bring this to a realistic conversation, not companies that are worth billions of dollars that are gaslighting about where they're at from an emission standpoint, et cetera, and how they're going to get the net zero to save the planet. We have to get to realistic outcomes and solutions to make this feasible so that we can truly actually save the planet. And that's where Persephone comes in and we designed our whole system uh, to enable companies of any size, any data complexity to get started, but it doesn't end there. And then they can see that data quality transition happens over time as they start to understand more and can invest the dollars or whatever to then improve those data collection systems uh, to then become more accurate. Wow. That's the first reaction. I get it. It's like a weather prediction. Mm -hmm. That's like the first thing that's in my head. Accuracy of a weather prediction, whether it's going to rain, snow, rain, shine, thunderstorm, hurricane, tornado, whatever. All of those are a prediction. There's a higher, there's accuracy. If you get a 10 day forecast, it's only certain level of certainty. The same is true with financial models. When you're an investor looking to invest in a company like Persephone, there's certainties, right? They're like, okay, well, based on blah, 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 and blah, I am X percent certain that this company will do X in revenue and grow to this valuation, or I am X certain that this is the low and this is the high, and here's where I feel comfortable for. And as Persephone continues to grow, go through different rounds or whatever company continues to grow an investor's certainty on the returns become more accurate. It's the same reason why investment managers on just blue chip stocks like a Microsoft will be like, I'm fairly certain this stock's going to grow by 10% year over year at this point. They've been around for X decade now, decades now, and they've proven that they can generate X revenue and grow by X every single year. It's not going to make you Tesla rich back during the <laughs> pandemic time, but it's not going to lose your money. Or at least we're X percent certain that it won't because they never commit to it. It's the exact same thing in carbon accounting. Just like we've come to accept that, hey, weather estimates are just estimates and predictions that become more accurate as it gets closer to the day and the event. Just as we've come to accept financial models and projections of companies 
to be estimates that become more accurate as we get closer to the date that that projection was aiming for. Carbon accounting is basically the exact same thing. And for a business of, you know, a small business, I run a small fleet and I power wash homes, right? And I have two trucks. I'm not going to have the data, but with even the SEC climate disclosure that is going on right now, that new policy, A, it being mandated makes it extremely valuable. And to your point earlier about the whole CFO being the target customer and not the sustainability team, small businesses and businesses of any size can suddenly now go, hey, I have to do carbon accounting just like I do my financial model and my taxes every single year. And yes, I don't have all the greatest data, but even still, that's why you hire an accountant who comes in and takes a look at your books, estimates things, saying like, okay, here's what we could in theory write off, here's what we couldn't write off, blah, and here's your tax refund for this year. Similarly, in GHG accounting, there's a specific protocol that's being followed, just like doing your taxes, that someone usually comes in and estimates and do, does it to give you that target, like, okay, well, what with what information we have today, here's what we think your carbon footprint is. And then based on that, you can make intelligent business recommendations that can directly show that, hey, your energy usage is coming directly from fossil fuels. And we know that that's a massive contributor to your greenhouse gas emissions. And at the same time, it's costing you a little bit extra. We can swap your supplier over. And here's the exact metrics and the results that you could, in theory, see by making this investment as a business or changing your entire fleet out for electric vehicles or changing your business operations to fully remote so that you don't need an office anymore. You're suddenly able to provide this really dynamic recommendation engine almost as that data grows because that small business may not be just one one power washing crew it may be 50 at some point it could be 500 at some point and as you grow and scale and work with persephone a you're not spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a consultant to come in and do it which is prohibitive to small businesses and probably even mid-sized businesses that are just like hey this is not really worth the investment for us today because it's not mandated. You've reduced that cost barrier significantly. You've made the process that much easier. And, and at the same time, you're able to suddenly provide everyone with the ability to grow that accuracy of those predictions and build a system that allows people to actually be net zero while also making proper financial decisions for their business. I'm fascinated. <laughs> you, 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 made a, you made a lot of good points and you, you hit it right on the head, right? It's, this is something that people in different industries, even when you're reading, you know, financial reports today from an accounting standpoint, you know, they have to identify their materiality. They have to identify what calculations or what method did they use in order to do the calculations that allows companies to be audited. So then that allows trust and that yeah. is what is needed so that companies, investors, other stakeholders can start making decisions based on that level of trust and transparency. And part of the protocol even today is for companies to state what calculation methods did they actually use? 
So that tells you the uncertainty. So you have to be transparent already based on the protocol to do that. And so going back to your use case, as that small business grows, their materiality in one aspect may not be high additionally. So they may not invest in the capabilities to collect that data, but once they get to 50 or 100, it may become material. And then they start investing in the systems to collect that better data in order to make those decisions. Now, one thing that would then add on for larger businesses is that climate risk is no longer an isolated risk. Climate risk is a financial risk. And so now let's talk about, now that we have the baseline, now that we have this ledger, and what we talk about a lot is, if you think about carbon emissions, it's an additional cost that businesses have been accruing this whole time. They just never had to account or track it, right? But that cost is now starting to show up in their financial statements. So as a company now is building this ledger and investors are looking at companies, they're not just looking at them saying, well, tell me you're going net zero because that's going to satisfy our stakeholders. That's important, but they're also looking at it as a financial risk because if your whole supply chain is based upon non-renewable fuels that's going to be difficult to transition the cost of those fuels ultimately will go up as we're now seeing what do you think is going to happen to right. your cost to your business right the value, the value of the profit, profit margins, margins is going to go down so if you look at then building that leisure but then you now remember at the beginning we talked about how this leisure will then be that data platform that enables climate tech as an industry. So now when you start talking about physical risk modeling, where you now need to make decisions on where do I even build my business? Because if I build facilities in a place where the probability of flooding may say been 5%, but now because of climate change, the probability of flooding is now 15 or 20%, this this one in a lifetime natural disaster that we're seeing now is everyday disasters that are happening. That has an impact on your business. If your business is now shut down or your suppliers are located in areas that once didn't have these types of risks and they're now having these risks, right? That's one of the aspects and that's physical risk modeling, but you need that accounting data in order to really build that physical risk modeling that's needed. And then you look at the next one and say, what is your transition risk? Your supply chain is highly inefficient. As the price of these fuels or these fossil fuels grow or other regulation that will come out, cap and trade programs, uh, the cost of carbon, carbon taxes, etc. What happens to your supply chain? You can't transition it. What happens then to your whole business model? And then you can even go more into that to say, as we're now developing technologies that will enable even more efficient products that customers are going to want to buy, but not just that customers are going to want to buy, but help them make a better product because it's more efficient and scalable. And over time, the cost would actually be cheaper if you're still building based on this old economic model in these companies that are not efficient, you're going to get outcompeted 
in 10 or 20 years. And so when we talk yeah. about carbon accounting, we have to not talk about it from a companies that want to go net zero because they want to wave their hands and say, I'm, I'm the best and buy my product. And really, we just know they're buying offsets yeah. to get to that or say they're net zero. That's another conversation. Right. But investors, <laughs> and there's a reason why investors are looking at this data because they're looking at it from a transitional risk, physical risk, and actually a risk to your overall business. And so corporations that are not wake, waking up to that today, they're actually putting their whole businesses at risk. And that's why a lot of regulation that is coming out is highly important, but also the ability to scale to companies who may not have millions of dollars to invest in a sustainability team. But then two, this is why you cannot just rely on a once a year, let me do these type of calculations. You need to be looking at this data as a strategic data asset to help you model where your business strategy is going, because it's going to have real implications if you don't. And we built the system with all of that in mind because of our experience. And you'll hear Kintaro talk about talent density. We brought in some of the best from all parts of the industry. Tim Mohan, our chief sustainability officer, he's been doing this since the 80s leading the way when it comes to fighting on Capitol Hill for better regu regulation, being part of this market, and they help direct us from a strategy standpoint. Kintaro background, Jason Offerman's background, Kim Stroh background, and actually working at a lot of these top energy companies. My background actually building these scalable systems and then be able to deliver the systems that companies actually need to, one, calculate, collect, build predictive modeling and then integrate with different platforms. That's really the core that makes up Persephone and what makes us uh, unique today. And that's how we're going to market with our product. But that's also why people who are joining Persephone are so passionate about it because that picture of why it's needed is something that for us is, is, is we see it and is as clear as day. You're the underlying infrastructure for decarbonization. 100%. And <laughs> a, a carbon offsets has been something. And, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to go on a very brief <laughs> tangent here. It could probably be a whole hour tangent uh, as we get it <laughs> Oh, of course. I could probably spend the next five hours talking about it. But I don't think anyone wants to hear my voice that much because I'm loving the kind of information you're giving. And the audience isn't here for me. They get enough of me. Um, <laughs> I'm just a talking head on their behalf. But um, <laughs> brief tangent on, on carbon offsets, it's, it's I've had a weird love-hate relationship with it. I understand why they need to exist. But I also always come back to the same argument of like, you can't just carbon offset your life away and expect that things are going to suddenly be perfect. It's to me, it's kind of like taking Tylenol when you have a cold. It's like you, you, you overdose on Tylenol. You're going to die one way or the other sooner or later. It's not going to work well for you. You can take it, but once your body is back at stasis, at that point, you need to take your vitamins. You need to show up and work out. And you're making decisions. There's a reason why Fitbits, the Apple Watches, the Whoops, and the Auto Rings of the world 
have become popular for people who are trying to track their own body's health and condition, especially as athletes, right? I think everyone should be doing that and taking care of their health, but we're going to focus on athletes who really care about the intricacies, just like a business cares about where every dollar is going and how they're investing their time. You can use carbon offsets, just like people use Tylenol when they get sick. But when it comes down to it, if you want to have a sustainable, long-term, healthy business or healthy future, you need to be investing in actual solutions that are sustainable and fully decarbonized because there's real business risk in not doing so. And you guys basically provide the core infrastructure for literally anyone to do that. And now it suddenly kind of clicks for me because the underlying challenge I've always had in carbon offsets or just this carbon accounting world is I've always heard the accuracy conversation. I've always heard the offsets are the end all be all solution for most corporations who, you know, basically gaslighting society in many ways or marketing very interestingly um, in society. And then you have also these sustainable actions and basic, basically everyone tries to dodge spending money when it's really not a expense that is never going to return other than make people and customers feel good. You guys provide a very clear financial story a data story that suddenly connects all of these because now you suddenly turn decarbonization into an investment. It's not an expense on your books. It's an actual asset. I'm, <laughs> I've heard the buzz about Persephone. I understand the buzz and just tying together this whole data story concept, it, it, it makes it click. And I can see why this is valuable, why it needs to exist, why these problems need to be solved, and how it ties in with changing climate policy, how it's changing business practices and such. I Kudos to you guys. I know the journey's long. You guys have plenty of stuff to still build. But... This conversation today tied together all the major questions and the holes that I had on, on, on just carbon capture and carbon, or not carbon, carbon accounting and carbon offsets. Um, I, <laughs> thank you, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but, but tangent aside, I, I guess the, the question I like to ask everyone after I eventually have the big eureka moment uh, during these conversations is what's next for you guys? And if you want to selflessly or selfishly promote something, either jobs uh, that you guys have or people who, how they might want to reach out to you if they want to continue this conversation or get other things cleared up. Um, I guess this is the opportunity to, to fill those two major questions is, uh, What's next for you guys? Where do you see this market heading? Where's the puck going? And uh, if you want to shout out uh, opportunities at Persephone or otherwise, uh, this is the perfect time to do so. The way that that clicked for you is something when I 
starting to really understand it absolutely clicked. Something that clicked for our founders from the very beginning when they started to tell the story and started to raise money. What's next? We're going to continue to build a team, continue to globalize that team, because this is not just a problem in one region. This is truly a global problem. And our focus on talent density is key. So my message to those that are listening, one is that there's a lot of things happening when it comes to regulation and compliance, and you may not know where to start, but we're here to help. Uh, so you can go to Persephone.com, request a demo, reach out. We have the teammates that are sitting and waiting to help. And when you talk about compliance in the SEC, they actually came to us not once, not twice, but three times for recommendations to consult as this proposal was getting written. Christina Wyatt, who actually worked at the SEC and was an author of this proposal, is now on our team because she saw the need to actually be able to operationalize and have this become a scalable solution. And she's helping companies navigate through a lot of these compliance issues from wearing both lens. And so we're looking for engineers, talented designers, cell teammates, carbon accountants that are passionate about building this future. Come join us. And this is a problem that you'll wake up every day excited to continue to hack at, excited to continue to come to work. And the team that we have built, we wouldn't be here without the team. And that piece is core. When you think about technology, there's really no net new ideal, but there's a bunch of little ideals that you stitch together to create an amazing system. And part of that is the teammates. And that is why I wake up every day to be excited about answering the question of what's next. I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm ready to quit everything and come join. Um, I won't, but <laughs> I feel like that. <laughs> I feel motivated. And I know there's people out there today that are definitely listening and tuning in that definitely want to join. And uh, as it relates to the SEC comment, that's an amazing insight. Um, I really do hope that ends up getting passed through in a way that actually does push companies to disclose their climate risk and properly account for their GHG emissions. Um, so I, uh, I know I'm in support of that as are people at the impact team. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear that Persephone is also significantly involved in that process in a far deeper way than I even thought at first. Um, but, uh, with that, James, I don't want to eat up more of your time because this was insightful and I'm still reeling from the whole conversation and I'm sure I probably will be for the rest of the day and all weekend while editing this. Um, but, uh, with that being said, James, I'll let you go now. Thank you so much for coming on and, uh, shedding light into the whole carbon accounting and carbon Thanks for having me. world. Awesome. You're the man. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are listening on Spotify, please make sure to add this to your favorite episodes and also consider sharing it on social. And if you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a review with uh, your thoughts from this episode. And of course, to also share and subscribe to this show. The Green Room is brought to you by The Impact. 
There's a free newsletter that you can find on readtheimpact.com, which shares plenty of insights, as well as brand new startups that we're finding that are pre-Series A, which could be opportunities for you, your fund, or potential co-founders to really want to check out and learn from. So with that being said, this is Swarnav Espajari from The Impact. It's been great to have you, and I'll see you in the next one.